without any doubt, we can say and sing amen to that very powerful song. Already, it's been good for us to be here today. We welcome those who are visiting, as our brother already pointed out. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're a part of our services. But these are services that are directed toward our God, and it's Him that we serve, and we're pleased to be a part of worshiping our God. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 43, where we're going to begin in just a moment. Glad to have you with us today. We have a number of people who are traveling uh, away from us, and we miss them, but we have a number of people who are traveling to be with us uh, during this time of the year, and we're thankful to have you with us as well. When we think about service to God, we think about, I hope, whole service to God, W-H-O-L-E, not just partial service to our God. And what is dangerous is that we can, if we're not careful, get trapped into the thinking of the world that we can partially serve God and partially serve the world and we can still be pleasing to God. But at the very outset of what we're doing together this morning, we wanted to point out that we want to fully serve our God and be in full, faithful, whole service to Him, following God fully. Because we're going to establish today that there is something to be said for not following God fully and just following Him when it's convenient or when it's easy or when others are watching and that's when I follow Him. We're going to talk about some keys to that. But I want to just start with this idea of not just following God. We as saints, which is you and me, not because we are perfect, and that's what's interesting about the word saints in those uh, religious circles that we often engage in. People think that when we call ourselves saints that we're calling ourselves perfect people, and that's not the case at all. But rather we're using the term as is used by the inspired writers who understand the importance of uh, calling us by biblical names. And we are saints, not because we are perfect, but because we are redeemed by God and are separated for his particular purposes. But we are never to be satisfied with part-time service or half-hearted devotion to God. So I wanted to look at just two passages here. One in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, even though it says Jeremiah. If you go to Jeremiah 44, you're going to be very disappointed because it's not going to make the point that we're trying to make today. But if you do go to the book of Isaiah, uh, is that me, Alex? Okay, I'll, I'll stay put. We had this problem Wednesday. So I admire David a lot. And uh, I, I, I like being like David. So when David decided to get sick, I decided to get sick too. So what is, we're, we're going to make it through this today. We're going to do just fine. And everything's going to be great. And uh, I figure if one preacher's sick, we're all going to be sick together. But turn over, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 43. And then we'll get to Jeremiah 44 here in just a second. But in Isaiah chapter 43... I want to read verses 22 through 24, because here we get a picture of individuals who were partially serving God. We put that in quotes, right? And the idea, because 
When you partially serve God, you're not serving him at all. That's one of the key points that we're trying to get out of our study together today. He says, you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. I love the the, the phrase wearied in the Old Testament. The idea that we are wearied in service to God. And that ought never to be the case, that, oh, what a burden to worship God or to sacrifice to him. You have bought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. While we're in the Old Testament, turn over, if you would, to the book of Jeremiah chapter 44 and read with me in verse 22. It says, the Lord could no longer bear it. What is it that he can't bear? Half-hearted service, partial devotion, just doing enough to get by, checking the box so that the elders are pleased with me and so that the preachers don't preach about me and so that my Bible class teachers don't point me out. Well, in verse 22, the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed. Therefore, your land is a desolation, an astonishment, a curse, and without an inhabitant as it is this day. Drop down to verse 24 in the text. Jeremiah said to all the people, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah and who are the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Certainly there's something to be said for the punishment that's going to come to Israel for their lack of diligence and faithful service to God. I'm also reminded of a New Testament passage that we turn to quite often in the book of Revelation chapter 3. We've been studying the book of Revelation and reading through the book of Revelation on some of our Sunday night services with our brother David, and we appreciate his efforts in doing that. But we read this just a few weeks ago in chapter 3 and verse 14. The angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. In short, what was wrong with the church at Laodicea? It seems to me not just that they are lukewarm, but they are partially serving God. They are partially doing what the Lord has asked to do. And we need to be entirely devoted to him. Every saint should say, or at least want to have as a part of his motto or your motto that I'm going to follow God fully. Not just partially, not just when it's convenient, not just when others are watching. And the scriptures, it seems to me, throughout the Old and the New Testaments, which we're going to look at today, provide us with a number of keys in order to make that happen. That's what I wanted us to talk about today, some things that will help us to avoid partial service to our God. First and foremost, it goes back to our scripture reading, which we'll read here in just a few moments, but the idea of avoiding worldliness. That is a sermon just by itself, right? 
but we're going to spend just five or six minutes on the concept of worldliness. I would make the argument, and I think you would agree with me, that worldliness is perhaps one of the biggest reasons why we as saints grow weak. Sometimes we struggle, and sometimes we just plain give up. Because we are surrounded by a world that is filled with so much negativity that when we are trying to be the optimistic Christians who are doing what the Lord wants us to do, we get drowned out. And sometimes we get disappointed. And sometimes we get to a place where we say, I'm just not interested in the sacrifices that are necessary anymore. I mentioned Joshua 24 verse 15 just a few weeks ago. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And that's a verse that is a favorite of many in this congregation because a number of you have this particular verse posted on your walls. But it's a choice that we make. I will fully serve God or I will partially serve my God. And it reminded me of what Jesus said in that great sermon on the mountaintop in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 when he says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We have to make a choice who we are going to serve, which is why Joshua said there in Joshua 24, choose this day whom you shall serve, whether it be the gods on the other side of the river that our ancestors may have served, or whether it be the gods of the Canaanites, or whether it be the Lord God Jehovah himself. Note, if you would, the example of Solomon. And we talked about this just briefly in our study of Judges a couple of weeks ago. In order to get a background to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, we've got to go all the way back to Exodus 34. Now, you'd be right as a Bible student to say, wait a minute, Exodus doesn't talk about Solomon. But it is a precursor to Solomon because understanding the mistakes of Solomon and the poor choices of Solomon and surrounding himself with worldliness goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. In Exodus 34, very late in that book about the exit of the people, their wandering in the wilderness and the commands that come from the Creator, in chapter 34 and in verse 14, it says, You shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God." lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice, and then you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. And he goes on and on and on to say that worldliness will have a devastating impact on your future and on the generations to come. And we see that played out through a number of passages throughout the Old Testament. But one of those, it seems to me, that jumps out is 1 Kings chapter 11 and the first five or six verses. Chapter 11 follows chapter, the, uh, chapter 10 where things were rather rosy and a nice picture. And chapter 11 starts with the word however or but because it's a transition. And it says, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, which is, of course, hearkening back to Exodus 34. He would have been familiar with Exodus 34 as the king uh, would have been educated in that law. He loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, Sidonians, and the Hittites. 
from the nations of whom the Lord had said specifically, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon, verse 2, clung to these in love. It says he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Can someone in the world turn your heart away today? And the answer is obviously yes. And that's okay not to, not to, to be able to say that to be able to recognize that. It's okay to be able to say that someone in the world could turn me away because we need to be wary of that. Verse six, if you drop down to verse six in the text, notice what is written there. It says, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Again, go back and read chapter 10 and see all the great things that were being said about Solomon and how his reputation was preceding himself. And then by the time you roll around to the first half dozen verses of chapter 11, Solomon is doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because of worldliness. When worldliness is involved in our lives and we allow the effect of the world, bad things happen. Let me suggest to you key number two, and that is we have to always trust our God. I would submit to you that trusting God is relatively easy a lot of the time, but rather sometimes it's hard and challenging. When we are surrounded by other Christians, when we are with fellow saints, when we are in a church environment with our brothers and sisters, when we are worshiping God on occasions like this, we are rock solid in our faith and in our due diligence to faithful service to God. And we trust him. But when you're all alone or surrounded by the world and dealing with all the challenges that come with this particular life, then it becomes a challenge. And that's what separates the weak from the strong. I was reminded as I was thinking about this particular point of that classic example in the book of Numbers chapter 14. And I want to go back and read just those three verses here rather quickly here. In Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. This is, of course, where Israel uh, balks at the idea of doing exactly what God has asked them to do. It says, all the congregation, after they got the report of the spies, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Verse 2 All the children of Israel complained, we'll talk about that here in just a few seconds, against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. We've heard that so many different times in the narrative of Exodus all the way through Numbers now. Or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt, to the very place that they had been rescued from by our great and glorious creator? It seems to me that there's a number of points that I would make in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 3. But two or three things that I wanted to point out is that, number one, complaining occurs when God isn't trusted. We are prone to complain 
and to complain in royal fashion when we are not trusting our God, when we are not giving him the, the, the due uh, trust that he reserves and, and, and deserves. And it seems to me as if you read on further in the text that there are consequences. Drop down to verse 27. In verse 27 of chapter 14, it says, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. And say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you, the carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb and Joshua, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. And then if you fast forward all the way over to the book of Numbers, chapter 32, very late in the text, there's another interesting statement that I thought was just important to just highlight for a moment. In 32 and verse 11, it says, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. If you like underlining things in your Bible, verse 11, they have not fully or wholly followed the Lord. That's where this whole concept comes from, of whole, diligent, faithful service to our God. Even when it didn't make sense to trust God, Caleb and Joshua did just that. And there are times where it may not make sense for us to trust God. It may not make sense for us to trust him in the eyes of the world. But we are the ones who know that Jehovah Jireh, we are the ones who appreciate the fact that Caleb and Joshua were in the minority, but that's okay. I'd rather be in the minority and be faithful to our God than be in the majority and be unfaithful to our God. And you agree with me there. Number three keys for following God fully is this idea of courage, boldness. The people who feared the giants were everything but courageous. Go back to the book of Numbers and chapter 14 where we were reading just a couple of moments ago. In Numbers 14 and verse 4, the text says, They said to one another, let us select a leader and let us return to Egypt. So it wasn't just a passing thought about going back to Egypt. They actually said, let's find someone who's going to be our new leader and take us back to a place that enslaved us for so many years. Let's go back there. You got to start thinking that this is just really convoluted thinking on the part of these people because of the worldliness, because of their failure to trust God, and because of their lack of courage. Backwards-looking people often lack courage. And that's why Jesus would say famously, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 9. Because we are to be forward-looking and not backward-looking. After all, remember Lot's wife. Indeed, Caleb and Joshua were very courageous Turn over, if you would, a few pages to the book of Deuteronomy, 
this time chapter 1, verse 36. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 36. It says, except Caleb, he shall see it. And to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked because, here's the phrase again, verse 36 of Deuteronomy chapter 1, because he wholly followed the Lord. Or some versions would just simply say they fully followed the Lord. That was true with Caleb. That was true with Joshua because of their courage, because of their walking with God. Courage today affects others tomorrow. And that's an application for us to make at this particular juncture in our study. Turn over, if you would, to the book of Joshua. And you say, we've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament because these characters are teaching us not only what we should be doing, but oftentimes telling us the things that we ought not be doing. But turn over, if you would, to the book of Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. And I want us to read three or four verses here beginning in about verse 6. The children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. This is 14, verse 6. And Caleb said, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. That's the third reference to fully following God in the Old Testament that we've looked at. So Moses swore on that day, he says, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Drop down to verse 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. I think we're seeing something, that when you're talking about great men who are courageous, they are courageous in that they wholly follow the Lord. And that's what needs to be the case for you and me today. That brings me to a fourth and a final observation, and that is one that I think may be the most difficult for us, and that is if we are going to fully follow God, we've got to be okay with being different. We are a human, a group of human beings who are different by our very nature, but it's especially the case when we're dealing with the idea of godly people as compared with ungodly individuals. And so we need to appreciate that godly people cannot hope to blend in with the world. And what is it that we are kind of engineered to be like and what is natural for us, but to want to be like the world? And that's true at a very young age when you're maybe in junior high and you want to fit in with those around you and you don't want to stand out as someone different. It's true in your first couple of weeks on the job site and you don't want to stand out as someone different. We, as Christians, when we made the decision to be baptized, said, I'm different, I'm going to remain different, and I'm going to show myself as being different from the world. Turn back, if you would, to where our scripture reading was in Romans chapter 12. It's one of my favorite passages, and you know that I use it quite often, but I want to reread it for the 35th time, perhaps, this year. But in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, pretend like you've never read it before. 
And he says, I beseech you. And that word beseech you is the idea of begging, the idea of urging, imploring. This is something that is serious. Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is different than a dead sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, you had a sacrifice which was an animal. We talked about the Passover this morning that was no longer living. But while we live, we are a sacrifice to our God, which is holy and acceptable to God. And by the way, he says, it is rational or reasonable for you to be engaged in this service. And he says, as part of that service, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing your mind, renewing your mind, having a different mindset, a different way of thinking, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It reminds me of Ephesians 4 verse 23 where it says that we are to be renewed by the Spirit or renewed in the Spirit. One of my favorite passages, particularly in the New King James Version, is in Titus chapter 2. And you may already know where we're going here. But in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We are special people. And when someone is described as special, it can mean a couple of different things, depending on the context in which that. But you're special. I'm special. In part because we're different from the world. And we're going to stand out from the world. Some versions even go as far as to use the word that we are peculiar. We are a peculiar group of people. In the way that we talk, in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we engage with others. And going back to Caleb and Joshua... They were indeed very different individuals. Well, go back to Numbers chapter 14 one final time and read with me just a couple of verses that we looked at a couple of moments ago. Go back to Numbers chapter 14, this time in verse 6. Numbers chapter 14 in verse 6. It says, but, and whenever you have that, transitional word it's always a good place to kind of say something has happened verse 4 let us select a leader and return to Egypt Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the children of Israel of children of Israel but Joshua and Caleb who were among those who had spied out the land rather than being complacent they say we will be courageous and we will be different They tore their clothes. They spoke to the congregation and they said, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then verse 10, note where it got him. All the congregation said, let's, let's give Joshua and Caleb a round of applause for their courage and for their willingness to be different. That's not what it says in verse 10, right? Verse 10 says, the congregation said, let's stone them with stones. 
Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. You know, there are times where you are courageous and you avoid worldliness and always try to trust God and be different. And people will want to stone you or destroy you or at the very least say mean things about you. And that's okay. Our willingness to stand out from the crowd will pay off. Maybe not in this lifetime. It did in the lifetime of Joshua and Caleb in their particular situation, in their particular venue. But it may not be in our lifetime that we receive the payment, and I use that word loosely, but the reward or the redemption that we are fighting for and that our Lord has provided us. I'm reminded in verse 8 where it says, If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give a land that flows the milk and honey. If God is for us, who can be against us? Is the passage from Romans 8 that comes to mind for me. Because we are to fully and completely and wholly follow our God. When it comes to following God completely or fully, my question is simply this. Can this be said of us? And I think that we're talking to, in fact, I know that I'm talking to a group, and we are engaged in a conversation with people who follow God. But are we fully following him at all times? We need to avoid the world, always trust in him, be bold and courageous, and not be afraid to be different. And so I hope these things will help in the, in the week ahead and hopefully help you to grow stronger and bolder in following God fully. If you've never signed up to follow God, even in a partial sense, because you've never heard something like this before, we want you to consider looking at the word, at what it has to say. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, you need to count the cost and understand that there is a cost to be borne or there's a price to be paid for faithful service to me, to God. But it's well worth it. And we hope that you'll become a Christian today by being baptized, to have your sins washed away. We're happy to help you with that. Maybe you want to study further. Maybe you're ready to make that commitment. Maybe you're close to that place and you just need some encouragement and people to pray for you. We'd be welcome. Uh, we would welcome the opportunity to do so. If as a child of God, you're not living correctly, you're not following God fully you're, because maybe you're lacking courage, you are engaged in the world in some way or another, we'd welcome the opportunity to help you. If we can assist in any way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.